Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and I am so happy that you are joining us here today because I am here with our guest host, Amy Milsick. Amy, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Pam. How are you? I am doing great. You know what? October is such a fun month for me, and this is going to sound really crazy, but I love planning for next year in October. Is that weird? I don't think that's weird because I love to plan ahead too. I'm already looking at the 2019 calendar going, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I think it's just us because I know you're a planner planner girl like I am. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's just so much kind of hope and that comes with making plans and I I like to use that hope to kind of buoy my day-to-day kind of thing maybe that's why I plan early what do you think I agree I just think it's it's just fun and it gives you something to anticipate look forward to and but that hope there yes definitely motivates (laughs) so as a as an early planner now I'm not planning my next year's homeschool right now that's that's crazy early Mm -hmm. I mean you know we just got got started with this year but usually about April I start thinking about the next year so when do you start planning your next homeschool year do you start thinking that early I mean and I don't even necessarily start putting things on paper so much as just looking at things so do you start that early or do you start a little later I actually I don't allow myself to uh, start planning for the next year until I have wrapped up the homeschool portfolios for my boys. And that's typically in May. Here in Pennsylvania, we need to have a portfolio. So I have to get through that. That motivates me because I can't wait to start planning for our next school year. So it's usually about June when I get started. And then, yeah, we're ready to go. Oh, okay. I could definitely see that uh, being a good practice to have is, you know, not to put off the work that you have to do now for the things that you want to do, using it kind of as a reward, right? Yes, definitely. Because the first year I did not do that. And then I had these huge piles of things that I wanted to do, but we had to wrap these other ones up. So a lesson learned. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, October planning is right now for 2019. So I'm starting to think about, you know, I like to think about family vacations and what we're going to be doing each month. I drive my husband crazy because I always, you know, like, I need your calendar now (laughs) kind of stuff. Oh, and then speaking because so many times next year, I'm going to be at seven GHCs next year. And so, you know, I have to fit all of that in the calendar too. Yeah, that's so exciting. It is. Uh, GHC's Great Homeschool Convention, uh, a new one in Rochester, New York, which is not too far from you next August. (gasps) Oh, that's exciting. Yay. Okay, so I hope you can come up for that one. But also, now is the time to register for those conventions because early bird pricing in October. Uh, So check that out as well. Yes, I will definitely do that. Okay, so... Today on the podcast, we are talking about classical and Charlotte Mason homeschooling as a blend. So tell me a little bit about this. Oh, I had a wonderful chat with Elsie Udicello. Um, She's from Farmhouse Schoolhouse, and she shared with us wonderful and creative ideas on how she blends a classical education with Charlotte Mason. And 
Oh, it just very inspiring, just wonderful ideas. Oh, that sounds so much fun because so often we hear people, you know, falling down into the either or camp. And so I love to have somebody on who doesn't, you know, stress about being a purist in either method, but instead can blend the two together to make it work for their family. So I am looking forward to this conversation. Yes, Elsie shares with us how to pick out of those philosophies and how to make it work for your child and for your family. So it's a lot of fun. All right, we'll get on with that right after this word from our sponsor. Have you ever been stuck on how to bring your lessons to life? Then you need KiwiCo, a monthly subscription which has delivered millions of hands-on projects that make learning fun. Their core offering are projects that make learning about STEAM, science, technology, engineering, art, and math, accessible and are designed to spark creativity, tinkering, and learning. Some recent favorites in our household are the Slime Lab, a hydraulic claw, and the geometric drawing machine. KiwiCo was founded by engineer and mom of three, Sandra Olin, and her deep desire to raise kids with the creative confidence needed to become the next generation of problem solvers and critical thinkers. I couldn't agree more with their mission, and I am excited to be able to offer you the chance to try them for free. To learn more about their projects for kids of all ages and to redeem this exclusive offer, visit KiwiCo.com educational snapshots to get your first month free today. Just pay $4.95 for shipping. That's KiwiCo.com educational snapshots for your free offer. And now on with the podcast. Elsie Udicello homeschools four lively boys on a small farm in South Florida. A former school teacher herself, Elsie is now a classical conversations director and longtime admirer of Charlotte Mason's philosophy of education. She uses her blog, Farmhouse Schoolhouse, to share about good books, adventures on the farm, and her family's daily homeschool rhythm. Elsie is also a monthly contributor to Wild and Free. She joins us on this episode to chat about how she beautifully blends classical and Charlotte Mason education in a way that works for her family. Welcome, Elsie. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? Sure thing. So I am married. My husband's name is Jeff. We met in college out in Chicago at Wheaton College, and we have four boys. They are, gosh, 10, 9, seven and five. We're right on the brink of birthday month, so all the numbers are going to start changing. So I just have to pause now. Um, and we live on a little farm in South Florida. I am a boy mom too. I have five. So I understand that lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> Total fun, um, but very busy. Yeah. So what made you decide to homeschool? It's because I was a teacher. Uh, and my last teaching job, I was a preschool teacher. And these little three and four year old kids would get dropped off so early in the morning and picked up so late in the day. And they were always so tired. And when their moms came to pick them up, and sometimes their moms would say things like, Oh, were they good for you today? They're always so frazzled at home. And at and I'd say, no, they were great. We, you know, we had a really good day and kind of got the feeling the longer the year went on where I was like, gosh, I'm getting the best parts of their kids. The best parts of their day belong to me. And at the time, my, my eldest was just a few months old at home. 
And I thought, I want that. I want the best time of his day. I want us to be at home together. I want us to learn together. And then I figured I'm, I'm teaching everybody else's kids preschool, so I can surely do that in my house. It can't be that different. I'll just transfer everything I'm doing over to the home, which, you know, did, did not work at all. <laughs> it's totally different. But that's initially why we started. And once we started, we loved it so much and realized that there was so much more to it than just that. And we stuck with it ever since. I hear a lot of teachers turned homeschoolers and they give similar reasons. I, I find that fascinating and, you know, really powerful because it's true. You do get the best part of their day and it's just a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Would you say your homeschool day is most like which literary classic? <laughs> um, <laughs> gosh, I'd say we're a mix of a farmer boy and Swiss Family Robinson with probably a little Treasure Island throw in depending <laughs> on, the, on the time of year and how much time we're spending outside. I, uh, my boys really like being hands-on. They really like being outside. They're very inventive. So the first time we read Swiss Family Robinson, the boys were like, that's like at our house. We love <laughs> putting things up in trees and building stuff. And I said, yes, don't, don't I know it. So <laughs> I'd say we're probably a good mashup of those books. Those are great ones. Mm -hmm. It's 2 a.m. and you are lying in bed awake. What's keeping you up worrying? Probably my son's therapies. My youngest has a sensory processing disorder and it's due to a developmental delay. So our insurance company won't cover any of his therapies. Mm. And I did not want to send him to the local school that was recommended. Uh, we went for a visit and I just knew that I wanted my son to have a the same beautiful education that my older boys were having. So I resolved to learn everything I could and keep him home and do his therapies here at home myself. And that has been a tremendous undertaking, but a very worthy one and a very good one. And he's definitely flourishing. He's doing really well. All the people that we, you know, we do our checkpoints with are really happy with how he's doing. But if I'm up at 2 a.m., it's usually because we've reached the next hurdle and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what he needs next and who should I call and what resource can I grab to, to help meet his needs. Oh, definitely. I think it's awesome that you've, you've taken that on and to help him. Do you have a specific resource that you've found particularly helpful, just in case we have a listener that's going through something similar? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different things that we've used. I'd say, you know, right off the bat, the first thing that we did was grab the Homegrown Preschooler by Leslie Richards and, and Kathy Lee Eggers. Mm -hmm. and that in itself is not a therapy-specific book, but Leslie's oldest son, she wrote it with him in mind, and she was in a, in a similar boat to myself way back in the day. In fact, the first one of the first homeschool conferences I went to where I heard Leslie speak afterwards, I went up to her just in tears and hugged her, and she's like, oh, honey, I know. And look, here's my boys. He was 14 or 15 at the time. And she's like, this is him. He's great. He's fine. You're going to be fine. So I knew I wanted to grab her curriculum just because she's been there. And a lot of the things that they recommend, all their activities through play were really, really perfect for him with his sensory needs. And then we grabbed a great book called Student Star Speech. It was off of Amazon. And we've been working our way through that. And that really helped him to help with his uh, verbal issues and his speech issues. And that was a really good resource for us too. And then honestly, YouTube is amazing. <laughs> there are certainly things on there that are awful, but 
I have found some really, really helpful things on YouTube. I really appreciate the therapists that are very generous with their gifts and their talents and that have made videos to help moms online. That has been a really fantastic resource for us. That sounds like some amazing stuff there and glad that you found that with the book, that initial book with the homegrown preschooler, right? And it sounds very reassuring when you met her. So that's awesome. What would you say is the most important skill you want your kids to learn from you before they grow up? I think it would be the skill of, gosh, and I'm not even sure how I would name this as a skill. I guess just resolve, not not giving up. There have been, you know, several points in my life and in our marriage where we've really been knocked down and had to recalibrate and figure something else out. And that has really helped us out tremendously. And that's something I know I got from my dad. And I know he got that from his dad. It seems to be kind of a a family trait. We're very scrappy people. (laughs) So maybe, yeah, maybe that's the skill, just in general life scrappiness, where I don't want them to be trained in just one specific area And that's it. I want them to know that they can learn anything. They have the tools. They know how to learn anything. So if they end up having to switch careers or move to a different place or any changes that any curveballs life life throws at them, that they'll be able to adapt really well to that. So being resourceful and persistent and just not giving up. Yeah, that's all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's some things that we can teach at homeschool. And I just think it's one of the benefits of it that our kids can think outside the box and develop those skills. Definitely. I mean, if you're homeschooling, you kind of are teaching those skills no matter what. I mean, unless who's a professional homeschooler, you know, I feel like everyone goes into it kind of like, ah, let's, (laughs) we're just kind of, you know, figuring out most people I meet anyway, it seems like we're figuring it out as we go. Even if we're reading and doing research, you know, that first kid's always a guinea pig. So, you know, everyone's kind of experiencing that at home anyway. So I think the kids are kind of picking it up along the way, no matter what. Absolutely. It's just like parenting, homeschooling. You can pretty much equate the two. (laughs) So what's your go-to backup plan when your homeschool plans for the day fall through? Ice cream. Ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Ours is usually brownies, but ice cream does does a good job too. (laughs) Ice cream. And you know what? We're, we're a house for, we, uh, our household has the potential for a lot of bad days just by virtue of my eldest having dyslexia, my youngest having sensory processing disorder, my middle two have very strong personalities. And I personally have post-traumatic stress disorder and I deal with anxiety. So that little melting pot of all those (laughs) different components gives us the potential to not have a very picturesque homeschool day or to have one that is just going according to plan. So we've really, really learned to give ourselves a lot of grace. I mean, stuff really has to go up in flames for us to call it a bad homeschool day. Usually we just recalibrate things that books are kind of another go-to. Anytime people are melting down or falling apart, I'm like, we need a story. Like, let's not fight this anymore. Let's go to the living room and sit and open our family read aloud and spend some time reading. And my boys like to do things with their hands when we're reading, you know, so they get a little bit of hands-on time. And my little one gets a big bear hug, cuddle, little sensory cuddle, and we read. And that always tends to you know, help us recalibrate for the next lesson. But if it really, really is a bad day, ice cream. I mean, who doesn't get cheered up by ice cream? You know? I have no idea. 
<laughs> Unless it's chocolate. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Although I hide, I hide my chocolate in the freezer in a lima bean bag. Um, ah, I love it. <laughs> no one, no one reaches for the lima beans, so nobody knows it's back there. So that's what yeah. my. I wonder if that's a boy bomb thing or if that's just <laughs> having kids because I have to hide my chocolate, even dark chocolate, which I'm like, you don't even like dark chocolate. Why are you eating that? And it's yeah. chocolate. <laughs> um, Boys have a food radar. They just know where to forage. You have to be really crafty. Yes. Yes, you do. Would you say you're a planner or do you fly by the seat of your pants? Uh, homeschool made me a planner. I usually on personal projects really thrive under pressure. So I usually wait. I like to think about things a lot and I don't really like lay things out that much on paper. I kind of think about things on my own. And then, you know, when the pressure's on, that's when I get everything together. Um, except for writing. Writing, I really like. I take a little bit of time every day to do my writing. That's probably the only exception. But with homeschool, it really forced me to be a planner just by virtue of having all of these children and then stepping up into leadership roles with a community group that really made me <laughs> pull myself up by my bootstraps and buy a, uh, buy a planner and get organized. So how do you stay organized? Do you use a paper planner? Do you have some online app? Well, just any type of apps, I guess, <laughs> that you use. We have like four planners, which I know sounds crazy. I have, we have like a big family planner right on the side of our fridge. That's kind of the command center. So just so I know where everybody is and what's going on. And my husband has some idea of what we're doing during the week. And then I have three personal planners, which sounds ridiculous, I know, but I have no other way of getting all that information down. And one is our, I guess you could say my classical conversations planner or any other things that I have going on with my, with my blog or, or with Wild and Free. And then I have another planner that is the academic planner for my older three children and then I have one last planner that is just for my youngest. See, I am a multi-planner girl as well. I completely understand. And I have a okay. variety of planners and mm -hmm. I just got a new planner today. I got a mini pocket-sized um, traveler's notebook. Yeah, because, Ooh. you know, why not? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I get it. I get it. So what would your kids say is the best part of being homeschooled? They love reading books. They love reading stories. And I know the answer to this question right off the bat because someone just asked them that. We went to Costco the other day. People are always alarmed when they see how many kids I have with me. And they're always like, pick up random kids and take them shopping with me because it's more fun that way. And, you know, they, we found out, you know, within minutes that we were homeschooled because my kids are always really excited to share that with strangers. And this guy actually had a really good reaction. He's like, wow, that's awesome. You get to hang out with your mom all day. I'm like, thank you, sir, for saying it that way. And he asked them what their favorite part was. And my eldest right away said the stories. Reading is so much fun. And my mom does all the voices. So that was, you know, that was his favorite thing. And the, we talked about it on the way home. And the boys were saying that they really do love reading aloud, reading stories together, because we laugh we spend time together. We bond over those stories. They become our inside jokes, you know, and then we hang out with our other friends. And it's almost like all these homeschoolers have this little secret language that they all speak because we've all been reading the same books and there's all these little inside jokes and it's really fun. It's a whole nother little culture. Yeah. And they get, they get it. They do. <laughs> they do. It's really fun. What would your kids say is the worst part of being homeschooled? No sick days. 
I think they uh they found out that there was um there well, I think that when their cousin got sick, they were like, He never has to do any work when he's sick and I always try to like slide things in where I'm like, Well, I know you're not feeling well, but we can do science on your bed. Come on, kid, perk up, drink your chicken soup and I'll read to you. So maybe that, maybe no no real sick days. I got you. Yeah, we also have no snow days. We're up towards Pittsburgh. So um, I, I was like, what's a snow day? <laughs> <laughs> My kids would ask that question too, but only because we live in Florida. Florida, yeah. <laughs> we get hurricane days, but that's kind of different. <laughs> Fill in the blank. As a homeschool mom, I really rock blank. Denim jumpers. Just Ooh. kidding. Um, <laughs> as a homeschool mom, I really rock Loving my kids for who they are. Oh, that's a good one. And that took me a while to get to because, you know, sometimes you go into things with having a lot of really high expectations and then you meet your kids, you know, outside the womb and in reality. And then you meet them in the home, which is to do school, which is just, it's different. It's a different experience. And you get to see all their little personalities and quirks unfold and all these different facets it's like opening up a present. It's so wonderful. And with it comes a lot of really, really, really tough stuff. And I think that's one thing that I've been really purposeful about is just loving who my kids are. And sometimes that means that I have to sit on a couch and listen to a little boy talk about dragons for an hour, even though I really don't care about dragons, but he really loves it. And it means so much to him. So I sit there and give him my undivided attention for an hour. So he can tell me everything that he knows about dragons, stuff like that. So I think that's something that I've worked hard to do. And that's not easy. So that is definitely something good to rock. (laughs) Really not. Well, your homeschool is a blend of classical education and Charlotte Mason style homeschooling. What do you love about each of these philosophies? Well, I think they go perfectly together. Um, Cindy Rollins and I had a really long conversation about that on her her Mason Jar podcast. And we're both of the same feeling that Um, We really don't feel like those philosophies should be kept apart, or it's not like we have to stay in one box versus another box. I feel like they blend together so beautifully. The first thing that really drew me to Charlotte Mason, of course, was her children are born persons, and just the way that her love for children came through so piercingly in her writing. And for me as a teacher, it's not that I didn't love children, but I was really trained in a lot of ways to not look at kids, but to look at numbers and to look at assessments and to look at scope and sequences. And I'm not by any means saying that, you know, private and public school teachers don't love students because they do. Gosh, if they didn't, they would not be staying in those jobs because it is Mm -hmm. not an easy job. But really, you're trained to churn out a product at the end of the year. And that was always really hard for me, but I never had the right words to formulate that idea. And I just remember reading Charlotte Mason for the first time and just weeping and feeling so pierced and thinking, yes, this is what was missing. And then in classical education, oh, just the desire for imparting truth and goodness and beauty. And again, not seeing children as these little vats to pour information into, but really growing them as people, learning with the grain, finding that that natural process of learning and growing with the person. I, I still remember the first time I read anything about the dialectic phase of learning after teaching middle school for a while. I was like, why didn't anyone tell me this stuff? <laughs> 
this would have been really helpful because I feel like I just spent a year butting heads with a bunch of kids when really I could have just flipped it and done it this way. And it would have just been, you know, an echo back to their hearts of what they were needing, what they were wanting to talk about. So finding the two and putting them together just makes so much sense in my brain that I, we can't, I can't imagine doing anything else. It just makes a lot of sense for us. What elements of each have you kept or what have you let out, you know, given yourself permission to leave out? Um, so, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things within Charlotte Mason, like the Swedish drills and mm-hmm. stuff like that, where I'm like, I'm okay if we don't do Swedish drills, you know, during the week. It's, it's littler things like that. Overall, we try to keep the heart of her philosophy, which is tricky when you get right around to the nine or 10 phase, especially if you're in a co-op like classical conversations where they, you know, put you into essentials where, you know, the kids are doing way more rigorous language arts, but we kind of found a good way to scale back so that we could still merge those two things together. Um, We really, really love narrations. And I feel like that has blended really well with our classical education, because anytime we read anything, I mean, gosh, we narrate, and we've had so much fun narrating over the years. I feel like we've really been able to fly with that and make it our own. My kids do all kinds of fun stuff with empty comic book Um, books that you can find on Amazon. So sometimes they narrate by making comic strips. Sometimes, you know, they have oral narrations or specific questions that I give them to think about. Sometimes they'll do a dialogue. Sometimes they'll write a little poem, which is something that my, um, my second born has been getting into lately, which is really cute. But we really love our narrations. And that has fit really, really easily into, you know, what we do with classical conversations with our timeline and our history sentences and things like that. So it's been good. Have you always had a blend of the two styles or is it something that's kind of evolved over time? Oh, it definitely evolved. I started out with a tiny public school in my house because that's all I knew how to do. And it was miserable. I remember just one night, this is maybe like a year into it. I just looked at my husband and I'm like, I, can you imagine living with your least favorite teacher of all time and never being able to escape him or her. I'm like, I I feel like that's what I'm becoming. Like our kids are so tiny and I'm just sitting here and they're doing worksheets. I'm like, why are we doing worksheets? We should be outside. And Jeff was like, well then stop doing worksheets. And that gave me pause. And it wasn't, you know, too much longer before I I found Charlotte Mason and stuff started changing. And, um, you know, it takes a while to read through all of her books and really understand everything. And I still, I mean, this is like my, you know, second or third time through with certain books. And I'm still seeing things now where I'm like, oh, that's what she meant. I (sighs) totally did not get that the first time around. So there's still a lot of stuff that I'm learning and evolving in and figuring out. And the kids are getting older, right? So they're getting into new phases and there's new territory to figure out. So never boring, never a dull, never a dull moment. I can totally relate to the replicating traditional school in your home because my older two went to public school for a few years. Mm -hmm. I am a product of public school. And so that's what I thought you did. Like, right. I mean, that's just, and then yes, we had the mommy turning into like, oh, (laughs) you know, that teacher from you know where and (laughs) having to really learn to meet the boys where they are and figuring that all out. So it's, it's nice to hear, not nice to hear, but you know, <laughs> we can relate when other people talk about that, that 
you know, it's not always perfect right away and it's okay to be open to the change, you know? And I think it's important to go through a bad season of homeschooling because that's how you get to the good seasons of homeschooling. That's where you really figure out, okay, this was a disaster, but I know that this one thing does work for my kids. So I'm going to do this one thing really well and then start pulling in things as we find them. So sometimes I cringe when I look back at all the pictures I took of that first year and see my poor little children sweating over worksheets and doing all this stuff. It just, you know, I kind of cringe now. But at the same time, I'm so thankful that we went through that because it it really helped wake us up into all of this beauty that we have now. Oh, absolutely. Well, what is your favorite part of the homeschool day? Uh, Morning time. Hmm. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, I love morning time. We started morning time, oh, nine years ago. My son was really tiny. He was just a year old. And I didn't even realize that morning time was a thing. I didn't know it had a, there was a name for it or anything like that. We would just sit and have breakfast together. And I was reading my Bible. And I remember looking at him and he was in his little high chair. And I thought, I'm just going to read what I'm reading now aloud to him. So I read a little bit from my Bible. And he was, you know, you know, really sparkly and happy and excited and responding. And then I sang a hymn. And he really loves that. And then I picked up a couple of little board books and I read those to him. And I thought, wow, that was great. And we just kept doing it. Then, of course, we added other children and other personalities. And eventually, you know, I had all these, (laughs) I was the only one at the table not wearing diapers. And we were not doing it, you know, for as long a period of time as I did with my firstborn, who was a very gentle, passive, sweet little baby. I feel like I had him and then I had two tornadoes and they, you know, were always really eager to get down and destroy everything. So morning time for a couple years, there was only like five or six minutes. But eventually I started picking up little tricks, little ways of getting them to stay at the table longer. And I realized, oh, you know, the, the more food we have, the more special we make it, you know, boys stick around for food. If you feed them, they will come. They will absolutely come. So I started making, you know, funny pancakes and giving the toddlers, you know, hard boiled eggs or clementines to peel because that takes them longer to do. So I would have more time to read. And it just evolved over time. And then, you know, within a few years, I realized that I had my own little personal philosophy for doing it. And then I found Cindy Rollins and I was like, oh my gosh, there's a name for this. There is a lady that does this. She's amazing. And I started reading anything I could get my hands on uh, that Cindy Rollins had authored on her blog or wherever else. And that's when I found Ambleside and found all these other women that were doing it. And it's just blossomed from there. And it's absolutely our favorite time of day. Even when there are days when, you know, we're not doing school, we still start with morning time because, I mean, that's just our family culture. It's how we start our day. I'd love to hear some more about those tips that you have for keeping your boys interested and engaged, like especially with things like poetry and art and music. We have kind of developed our own culture here, but I would love to hear what you do to help you know, make that work. Yeah, I think having a blend of interest is always really good. I know a lot of people, sometimes if they're studying a certain theme in history, they want everything to be really, really matchy, 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 matchy. Mm -hmm. And I try not to do that. I really like morning time. I, I once, so I wrote an article once called Mornings Without Measure. And so our morning time is focused on all the things that you cannot measure. Beauty and truth and goodness 
you can't measure it. So we sit there and we will listen to composers and we will listen to artists and we will listen to poetry. And I try to vary it. I try to keep it interesting. For example, maybe couple months ago, I'm like, all right, we have to pick a new poem for the year. And I really wanted to go with this beautiful flowery poem that I thought was so beautiful. And then I stopped and I thought, well, let me give them like a really fun, dark war poem first, and then we'll do the flowery one. And then we'll do another, you know, tougher poem. So, you know, there's good boy poems out there. And actually, there's a lot of girls that are co-op that like these poems too. So I wouldn't even just call them boy poems, but boys tend to gravitate towards them. Like the destruction of Sennacherib by Byron. That's a that's a great one, you know, describing the dead horse and the dead Sennacherib and all the, you know, death and gore everywhere. And, you know, we had our flowery poem and now we're doing um, the Maldive Shark by Herman Melville. And they're so excited to be able to talk about all the gory aspects of the shark. And then, you know, with art, boys, my boys at least, don't really like talking a lot about art, but they really like looking at it. And I'm okay with that. I really don't feel like we have to have these big speeches and drawing out, what are we seeing, all this stuff. Sometimes it's good to just look at a thing and and rest in the beauty that you find there. And then if they do want to talk about it later, that's okay. So we use these, um, these restaurant, this is maybe like the last two months I bought these restaurant menus um, because I'm always spilling stuff on our morning time stuff and I wanted to keep everything clean. So I bought myself a little menu and you'd get a little restaurant menu. And I slipped in, you know, our art for the week and our hymn and the poetry and whatever else. And my boys were like, can we have a menu too? And I'm like, it's not going to be fancy, but sure. So I made copies for them and now they have their little menu. So they have something hands-on that they get to hold and follow along with. And that's actually been really, really good for them. Even just with the hymn, with following along with sheet music has really, um, has really helped them and improved their singing, which has been really exciting. And I love seeing them when they come to the table. A lot of times they flip to the back. We're sitting for on Helico right now. And I'm sitting there getting, you know, the last of the breakfast together. And they're just sitting there looking at it and appreciating it. And that normally wouldn't happen before because I would have the piece of art in my notebook. And it wasn't until I pulled it out that they all started, you know, at least the new one. We have the old ones hanging up. But the new one, you know, it wasn't introduced till I held it up. So I love that they were getting that time to really look at it and focus on it. And I think anytime you can engage... (laughs) you know, boys in that way, it's a good thing. So having that handheld thing really meant a lot to them. I think that's brilliant. And I'm going to steal that idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's really fun. It's been working really well for us. And I'm not spilling stuff on my morning time photocopies anymore, which is a huge plus for me. That is a bonus. Definitely. On your blog, you share about ending your day with a closing board. Can you tell us a little bit more about that practice? Yes. So This all started because I realized we were starting our day so intentionally. Morning time was lasting like 45 minutes. We were having such good discussions. We were really connecting. And then at the end of the day, you know, everybody finishes at different times. They kind of taper off and wander off and go play and do their own things. And then by the end of the day, I would be sitting there by myself with, you know, whoever was the last kid that I was working with. And then they'd leave and I just kind of sit there like, okay we're done, you know, and the kids would move on to blessing hour, which is when they they clean the house to bless the family. And then that's it, they'd scatter. And I just remember thinking, I I just want to end our days the same way we begin them. I kind of want like a bookend to morning time. And I, at that point in the day, I don't really have the energy 
for like another like big fancy like <laughs> light a candle and bring out teacups I kind of just I needed to be more low-key so I just grabbed my big whiteboard out of our classroom and bought it over brought it over to our dining room and we sit there and we all share the things that we learned today that we've really loved. So usually my eldest and my second born will write up all the things that we did during morning time. So we went to Ephesus with Halliburton and, you know, we did the Melville poem and we read Timmy Tiptoes over lunch and we studied Burgess Seashore book and they start naming, throwing up all these things and then they'll start getting a little more specific. Oh, well, you know, we learned you know, about greediness today and all the things that can happen there. And, oh, this is the sentence that we parsed and let me parse it for you. You know, the older kids that are in essentials and they want to show their little brothers the kind of things that they're learning. And then the little one would go up and, you know, draw the letters that he learned that he's so proud of. So everybody gets to share something. And then we'll look at our board and we'll find similarities that we had between the subjects that we learned or we talk about things that we're really thankful that we got to learn or we'll say things like, hey, you know, a couple months ago, this was really hard for this brother to do. And today, you know, he did it so well. He's been working so hard. Let's all cheer for him. And it's just been a really, really good thing to connect with everybody at the end of the day. It's been it's been very encouraging too, especially if it's been a hard day or if we kind of petered out <laughs> towards the end of the afternoon to kind of come back together and reconnect. It's been, it's been very meaningful for us. It sounds like a really great connection tool and like an intentional recap of the day. I just, I love that concept. I just really do. I think it could be so helpful for so many homeschools. It's just a really good balance. I think especially if you're starting with something like morning time where you're really connecting to have that at the end of the day. And I found that doing that too gives them some ammo for when dad walks in through the door. And he's like, what did you do today? I'm like, look at our board, you know? And, um, and then the kids are like, oh yeah. And they're a little more ready because they've sat there and thought through the process of their day and what they learned and what they were able. And it's good for them too. They feel that accomplishment of, okay, you know, I got through all of these things today and I really learned some good stuff. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not really interested in doing the board in terms of this is all of the information we acquired, but how has this affected you? How is your thinking changing and what kinds of things are you valuing right now? And are, you know, at the end of the day, are you caring more about something else. We were watching these videos the other day, those man on the street interviews where they try to, you know, find out how shockingly little people know about American history or whatever else. And I was really struck that anytime someone said, I don't know, to an answer, when was the Civil War? I don't know. They would immediately follow it with, I don't care. I don't know. I don't care. And I'm like, that's really interesting <laughs> because, you know, Charlotte Mason talks about, you know, it's not about how much a youth knows at the end is, you know, the question is, how much does he care? And I thought, is that so interesting that, you know, we sit there and we go through our day learning all these things. But in the end, the question is, how much do you care? And so when we sit around the board, I'm listening for how much do they care? And are they actually making some kind of relationship connection to the materials that we're working through together. I never want it to be just one more thing on the list. I want it to be purposeful. I want it to be shaping for them. So that's, it's actually a really good tool for, for measuring, you know, what's happening there too. Definitely. And I love the whole, like when dad comes home and the deer and headlights thing can just, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Which is always a great feeling when you're like, yeah, we did so much today. And they're like, what'd you do? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> 
you're like, awesome. Well, I actually had a good day, but thanks. <laughs> well, it's time for our fast five where you get to say the first thing that comes to your mind to these five questions. So are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. You just received an Amazon gift card. What are you spending it on? Books. All the books. All the books. Any book in particular or just all the books? Um, I really am on a big PG Woodhouse kick right now. So I'd probably be buying one of his books or probably more Dorothy Sayers because I can never have enough Dorothy, Dorothy Sayers. <laughs> My husband's always like, um, do we really need another edition of this? And I'm like, yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> What's your favorite family night game? Uh, well, right now we're in between Clue and Settlers of Catan. We're, we're pretty even on both of those right now. What's the best way to spend the day with your kids? Laughing. What are you reading right now? Me personally or the kids? Uh, you personally. I actually, someone just gave me a copy of Pam's book, Better Together. So I just started reading that. And I'm also reading Jaber Crow and uh, Joe's Boys. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> so good. I read it a lot. I, I love that book. <laughs> that one and Anne of Green Gables. Those yeah. two are like, I just flip flop. And I've got to have blank to get me through the day. Uh, Jesus. And then tea is a close second. For sure. I can't drink coffee, sadly. So tea is my tea is my thing. Oh, well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Can you share with us where we can find you on Instagram, your site, that type of thing? Sure. I have a website, uh, www.farmhouseschoolhouse.com. And on Instagram, you can find me at farmhouse underscore schoolhouse. And you have a kick-in Instagram account. So <laughs> I really yeah. encourage everybody to go follow that. <laughs> That's still kind of a shock because I, I'm not a very visual person and I never really meant to join Instagram. I kind of just did it because my sister kept asking me to do it. So I'm, I'm still kind of in shock that I'm not even on there, but it's really, it's really a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. And it's awesome following you. So thank you so much again for joining us today, Elsie. Thank you. This was so much fun. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. Oh, it was such fun to talk to Elsie. Now, if you'd like links to any of the books and resources that she and I chatted about today, you can find them in the show notes for this episode of the podcast. Those are at pambarnhill.com forward slash HSP. 71. Thank you so much for joining us today and I'm really looking forward to some more great homeschool chats to encourage, inspire, and motivate. Until then, rock your homeschool!